Hey there, welcome to the Alenia Church Podcast, your place to catch all of Alenia Church's previous messages, messages designed to equip you on your journey with Christ. This week we have a standalone message because this past Sunday was Vision Sunday. This is our time each year to focus and refocus our attention on what God wants us to do in the coming year. In this message, we share why we do what we do as a church and how God has promises for all of us to take hold of. Enjoy. All right, so um, I'm not going to tell you how many slides I have today, Uh, so just bear with me, and I'm going to jump right in, and if you like messages where there's just a lot of scripture, you are going to be so excited because uh, I've got a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to just jump right in. No fun story, no joke, no nothing. Um, my, My outfit's the joke today, so there you go. Like that? Does look all right? That's not so bad. Um, you're wondering why why the preacher's not in slacks or, or coat or anything. Well, it's Vision Sunday, so I thought I'd represent and wear my Alenia shirt. And uh, Alenia. So if you want to know what Alenia is, an Alenia is a paragraph marker. So if you turn your symbols on on Word whenever you're writing a paper, and the little backwards P pops up there, that's a paragraph marker. That's an Alenia. It's a pilcrow. And it literally means the beginning of a new, a new train of thought or a fresh beginning. So that's, that's where we came up with the name Alenia. So I want to talk to you real quick about uh, the promises of God and uh, where I think God is taking us in this next season. Um, in Israel, um, there is this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane is an olive tree garden. And you can go in there, and it's beautiful, and it's tranquil, and you can, um, you can have uh, just a time of, uh, of, of contemplation and, and prayer and uh, beautiful uh, old olive trees. And if you walk across the road, it's where, where Jesus came down uh, from the Mount of Olives, and so if you walk across that road, and there's another courtyard across the road, and there's some more olive trees in there, and they're, they're massive. I mean, they're thousands of years old, and, and you can't get your hand, hands around them. And uh, that's most likely where Jesus went, and he prayed great uh, drops of blood and right before the crucifixion. Now, before he ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember, they were in the upper room, Jesus and the disciples, and they were having communion. It's what we think. But they weren't having communion. They were having Passover. Why were they having Passover? Because it was the Passover time, and they were all very good Jews. And all very good Jews have Passover. And so they, if, you, if you see the painting, they're all reclined back at the, at the table, right, <laughs> with, with the bread and the spread and everything. And then they have the cup. Now, there's a problem with that picture. The, uh, and it's this. There wasn't just one cup. There were four cups. And this is called the Seder or the order of Passover. And um, when you go to Jerusalem, we always have a time where we get to take communion, and they give you these little communion cups that are made of olive wood. And so what you would have if you were observing Passover is you would have four communion cups and uh, or four Passover cups, and they would have them on the table. Now, you would take two of the cups during the meal, and then you would take two of the cups after the meal. And the reason that they celebrated Passover this way 
is because it allowed them as a good Jew to remember what God had done for the nation of Israel. And so that comes from Exodus 6. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. I will bring you out. That's the first cup. It's called the cup of sanctification. Under the yoke of the Egyptians, I will free you. Now, you're probably thinking for a second, wait a minute, he just said that. He said, I will bring you out. Well, there's a difference there. The first one is the cup of sanctification or the cup of salvation. It's going to, I'm going to bring you out. But God knows that you can, get the Israel, uh, you can get the Jew out of Egypt, but a lot of times you can't get the Egypt out of the Jew. All right? And so that's why he says, I will free you, and that is the cup of deliverance. That, that's not like banjo's deliverance. It's, it's deliverance as in... Y'all started hearing banjos when I said that, right? Some of y'all are like, what, what is he talking about? Just go ask a friend. Um, I will free you, so that's a cup of deliverance, from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you. All right? That's the cup of redemption. Most likely, when Jesus uh, took the cup and said, drink this, that most likely was the third cup. So it was because it says it was after the meal, and they took the cup. So that's the first cup that is taken after the meal is the cup of redemption. Now, I want you to understand, because all throughout this message, we're going to talk about redemption. You need to understand what redemption is. Redemption is making right that which was wrong, all right? So once we were a people for God, Adam and Eve in the garden, they communed with God, right? Sin broke that communion, broke that fellowship with God. God has always had a plan to redeem that fellowship, to make right that which was wrong, all right, to put back what was broken, to make us the way that we were supposed to be all along, that is the redemption. So that's the third cup. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you. This is the cup of praise. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will take you as my own people. So, and this is something that we've got to understand that God's purpose for you is never something that's entirely individual. It's always communal. I will make you a people. I will take you and make you a nation. And what we see here is we see four promises of God in this passage. We see a promise of salvation. We see a promise of deliverance. We see a promise of restoration. And we see a promise of fulfillment. Now, what is a promise? A promise is a statement that tells somebody that you will definitely do or not do something. And let me tell you, when God promises something, it is something that you can count on. Amen? Because God is God and he does not lie. God loves you and he sees you and he is for you and he makes these promises for you and you can take that to the bank. In fact, if you look at Joshua, it says, none of the good promises the Lord God had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything, everything was fulfilled. Look what it says in Hebrews. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. I love how the message says this. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. Watch this. We who have run for our very lives to God, I love this, have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. 
That promise, you can take it to the bank. That promise, the promises of God, you can latch onto them, even in desperation, and know that God is for you. You can grab a hold of the promises of God and you can pray them. You can pray them in faith. You can count on them. You can write them in your journal. They can be encouraged for you, right? Now, why does God give us promises? Right here, it says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, will I will never cast out. So it has these promises for an individual. Look what else Jesus says. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus has promises that he is going to use you, that he wants to utilize you in this plan. He's got this promise of, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love that passage. If you're tired, you feel fatigued, you feel worn down, you feel scattered, Jesus is saying, hey, come to me. All you are heavy laden, your burden, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. There's a promise that Jesus is coming back. There's a promise that Jesus is coming back to take us for his own. This is one of my favorite promises. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. Do you ever feel like, do you ever feel like your life is just like a half-life? Like you start, you start thinking like, I'm living in a simulated reality, you know, in the matrix. Like this is not real. Something's up. I can't seem to be firing on all pistons. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm tired all the time. I, I can't seem to achieve anything in life. I can't seem to find any fulfillment in life. I can't seem to find any joy in life. I can't seem to find any rest in life. And Jesus says, hey, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way because I have come to give you life. Not only that, I have come to give you an abundant life. Now, we all know that that phrase can be taken and it can be wildly misused. Wildly misused. Because what does Jesus do? He takes the whole concepts that we have as humans and he flips them on their head. He says, oh, now actually, the last is going to be first and the first will be last. He says, hey, if you want to be great among these, you're going to have to be a servant. But that is what a fully alive life looks like. It's upside down, right? upside down. Now, why does Jesus give us these promises? What I was trying to say a second ago, I got out of order. It says, his divine power, listen, I'm not perfect, y'all, just bear with me. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Why? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So it's like this idea of, of, of your two-year-old standing on the edge of the pool, and you're sitting in the pool with your arms up like this, and you have a promise to that two-year-old, I promise I will catch you. I promise I will not let you drown. I promise I will be here for you. Why do you give that promise to your two-year-old? Because you want them to participate in the fun. It's an assurance. It's a safety net. 
God gives us these promises because he wants us to join him in the work that he has for us to do. Now, there is another promise. It's a promise for the church. And I need this promise because as a church planner, I don't know if you know this, but we're, we started in August. I don't even know if we're six months old. I have no idea how old we are. I was never good with my kids either. My wife's like, they're 16 months old. I'm like, how do you do that? Why can't we just say they're a year and a half old? It's just, that's just the guys speaking, right? Because as a church planner, you can start to carry this weight on yourself that it's all up to me, that I, I can't miss a Sunday, and I've got I've to grab a trailer, and then, oh, my goodness, these people are sick, and these people got the Rona, and these people decide they're going to visit, and they don't like it, and then, then we got to snow, and then these people are going to take vacation. I'm like, why would you even think about taking vacation? We're trying to plan a church here. And then all, these, all this weight that you have on yourself because you're like, I got to make this work. I got to make this work. Look what Jesus says. Simon Peter answered. He's talking to Jesus. He said, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what's Jesus say back to him? He says, hey, that's a pretty good answer. That's a pretty good answer. You didn't think of this by yourself. God gave you this answer. And then Jesus follows up. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I, not Jeremy, not your systems, not your ambitions, not your denomination. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And, and you have to have this, this vision of Jesus leaves the Sea of Galilee. He walks north to Caesarea Philippi, which is where this is taking place. Caesarea Philippi, I'm looking at the ages of everybody in here. Um, it's, it, yeah, I'll censor myself. It's the red light district of Israel. Okay? Does that make sense? It's the red light district of Israel. And Jesus takes all of his disciples a several days on foot journey to the red light district of Israel. It makes no sense unless he had a message he wanted to deliver specifically in that place. And if you go to Caesarea Philippi, Google it, all right? Caesarea Philippi, the temple of Pan. There is a temple that was built into the cliff that had a cave in the back of it. And there was steam that would come out, and there was a river, an underground river right there. And they would consider this the gates of hell. And Jesus, in the red light district of Israel, sits his disciples down, and he said, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. He said, that's right. And let me tell you this. I am going to build my church. And this right here that you see, this depravity, this sin, this destruction, this ultimate fulfillment of everything man thinks that they want and that they desire and that they strive for only to screw it up, only to flub it up, this right here, it will not prevail. Amen. Why? Because the church is not a defensive organization. A church is an offensive organization. Jesus went to those places. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to those places. Now, this is one of my favorite promises. It's God's will 
for the church to grow. Say that again. It's God's will for the church to grow. So Jesus gives Peter this declaration, I will build my church. Guess what happens in Acts? He does it. Watch. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Isn't that awesome? Oh, wait, there's another one. So the word of the God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. They increased in number, and then the people that were studying who the Messiah would be, their entire lives were convinced that Jesus Christ was actually the Messiah. All right? Then stop there. We have another one, Acts 9. It says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. In other words, they didn't just grow in number. They grew in roots. They grew in depth. They grew in strength. It, it, it's, it's, not it's not just a matter of growing something big. It's growing big people. It's, it's growing something healthy, right? And it says this, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. It doesn't end there. There's another one, Acts 16. So the churches were again strengthened, all right? Strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers, all right? So why do I think this is the case? Why do I think that the church grew? I think it can be found back here in these promises that God gave us in Exodus. Look what it says here. You have the promises of salvation, the promise of deliverance, the promises of restoration, and the promise of fulfillment. These promises are found over and over in Scripture. Over and over in Scripture. It's not just Exodus. It's not just Exodus. Look at Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may... Know him, that's salvation, know him better, and pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so there's an awareness of what's going on, there's an awareness of what needs to be fixed, there's an awareness of the deliverance that you need in your life in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There you have a purpose. There the redemption thing kicks in. There God is making you back to what you were supposed to be. All right, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, I will take you and I will make you a people. All right, so there you have it again, salvation. You have deliverance, you have restoration, you have fulfillment. Look at Isaiah, again you have it. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. Good news, salvation. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound. There you have deliverance. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and to the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. There's redemption. To oil, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. So not only are they becoming a people, now they're 
now there are people that are joining in the process of making things right. All right? Now, there's one other place that we see this. We see this in Matthew. We call this the Great Commission. And I've shrunk the text so we can stick it all on one, on one screen. And it's not in the same order, but the same concepts are there. It says, therefore, go. All right? There is, the, there is that idea of mobility, of deployment. There's that idea of where God is taking them in people and he's, and he's having them do things. And make disciples. There's salvation of all nations, baptizing them. All right? So we have deliverance. You're baptized out of the old and into the new. Okay? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. All right? There's equipping to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now I like to say it this way, that God's plan is that we're to be saved from the old, salvation, delivered to the new, that's deliverance, equipped for the calling, that is redemption or restoration, and deployed to the world. That's, the, that's that last cup. Over and over again, it's those four concepts that God wants to save you, he wants to set you free, he wants to redeem you, and he wants to use you, he wants to make you a people, he wants to deploy you. All right? Now, our part in that and the way that we're structured as a church is, is all around these four concepts. We want lost people saved. We want saved people pastored. We want pastored people discipled. And we want discipled people deployed. That's all we want. We want those four things. How do we do this? We do it first because we want people to know Christ. It's what Kendall said when she stood up here. She said, My, our goal for you as a church is that, one, you would know Christ. This is salvation. Look what Jesus says. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Matthew, this verse is so hard to read. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to remember this, by the way. When you're out in public and you're talking to your friends or you're talking to your family and you're like, hey, do you know Jesus? Hey, would you want to come to church with me? Hey, how has Jesus changed your life? Oh, I know Jesus. You do? How? Because you don't live like you know Jesus. I mean, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't say that out loud, but I may be thinking to myself, maybe ask some probing questions. Really? Really? But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we, didn't we drive out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform all these miracles? I mean, we've got all these good works to show for it. I mean, we, we, we had our, went to small group. We went to church. We didn't miss a Sunday. You know, we, we tipped God, you know, whatever was left in the bank account at the end of the month. And, I went on that mission trip and cried over the orphans and oh, it was so sweet. And, and, and Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You got to remember this. That we say, hey, believe in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, but the demons believe and they shudder. All right. Number two, we want people to live in community. How is that? How is that deliverance? Well, look what it says here in James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
Isn't that interesting? That in Revelation, Jesus says, confess your sins to me, and I'm faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. In other words, confess your sins to Jesus, and I'm going to cleanse you. Confess your sins to one another, and I'm going to heal you. There is something about coming together as a community where we can take the mask off and we can say, I am struggling. I'm not okay. I need you to hold me accountable. That is, communi- that is true community. Not just getting together, watching a football game, and that's great, and I love watching a football game except for last night. But, I mean, coming together and holding each other accountable, coming together and being the people that God's called us to be. Number three, once you equip for your calling, do you know all of you have a calling? All of you. If you are in Christ, you have a calling. What it says in Romans, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is, to, is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. I think this is the way, to me, this is the way Paul would say it. He, he would, if it's teach, teach. If it's to encourage, encouragement. Just do it. That's kind of what he, I kind of get that sense from him. He's like, listen, you got the gift. Use it. Why aren't you using it? If it's giving, give generously. Please. If it's to lead, do so diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That's me. That's what God, God gave you, me. Sorry, this is what you get. But here's, here's, here's why. Here's why. I am to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. When I became a pastor, I got out of the doing phase, and I got into the equipping phase. And don't let that fool you, because I'm doing a lot. But I'm just saying, my goal is to equip you. My goal is to equip you to be a mother, to be a grandfather, to be a coworker, to be a servant, to be a small groups leader, to be, uh, to be who God has called you to be, to be a son and a daughter, to live this life, not just on Sunday. This is not about a linear church and on Sunday morning. My passion is that you would understand your calling seven days a week. Is there something you're to do today? I believe that. Yes, not making apologies for it. But is that where it stops? Absolutely not. And my responsibility as your pastor is to equip you for all of it. All right? Number four, living the commission. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them, please. Use them well to serve one another. Now, I'm, an, I'm, I'm OCD. I'm analytical, and I like charts. And so I made you a chart just so you could see how everything matches up. What did God say? He says, I will bring you, I will rescue you, I will redeem you, I will make you. What did God do? He gave us salvation. He gave us deliverance. He gave us redemption. He gave us fulfillment. What's God's purpose? He wants the lost saved, the saved pastor, pastor, disciple, the disciple deployed. What is our mission? We want you to know Christ, community, your calling, and your commission. Our method, we preach the word of God. We get you into groups. We equip, equip you for your faith. And as we've said from the very beginning, we are on a mission to bring heaven to humanity.
to be the light, to change the world around us. That is our goal, and that is our purpose. So what is your part? What can you do? Be the light. Bring people to church with you. But don't just do that in the break room as you're eating your dill pickle and tuna sandwich or whatever you're eating. Talk about what God's doing in your life. Don't be afraid to share your faith. Listen, I want you to bring people. I love that. It's great. I don't want you to just use Sunday morning evangelism as a crutch not to share your faith. What, What else you can do here? Love people well. That's why we put all of those fruits of the Spirit on the banners out there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You do those things out in public, people are going to go, for those that are listening on the podcast, I'm making a very inquisitive face. Y'all pray for me. We need a, we need a video record one soon. Be the light. Number two, get into a group. In a couple weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to sign up for a group. And I'm going to be honest with you. This one and this one, right now in my prayer life, are connected. Because I know that there are more people that need to get into a group than I have group leaders. And maybe your calling, your gift is to be a group leader. I need to know. Please write that down on your connection card. I want to be a group leader. We will connect with you. But if you're not called to be a group leader, please, for the love of all that is good and holy, don't sign up to be a group leader. It's the same for the worship team. Anyway, um, get into a group. Get people around you. Don't do this alone. Can I just ask you all just a favor? It's not in my notes. Give me a year. Give me 2022. Just go all in. Go to Partnership Pathway. Sign up for that. Figure out what your gifts are. Try it out. Maybe I got the gift of hospitality. I want to I serve in volunteer headquarters. And you do it, and you're like, I hate this. It's like, okay. Maybe you have a maybe your hospitality gifts should be used on children. Let's put you let's put you in, in a lineage of kids. Maybe you think your your spiritual gift is is prayer. You you can pray down heaven. If that's the case, come let me know. Miss Nancy wants to lead a prayer team, and she wants to cover me in prayer and cover the church in prayer. She wants to nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. Write it down. Let me know. We need, there is not anything that we have on the table that we do not need. And I have always been taught as a pastor that people want to be known and they want to be needed. We got the needed part down pat. And I want to know who you are. I want you to be known. But last, and I listened to a, I listened to a podcast, I listened to a a guy is named Seth Godin, and every time he signs off his podcast, he says this, go raise a ruckus. I want you to be so equipped. I want you to be so healthy spiritually. 
I want you to, to love God with all your heart that we move past this casual, professional, got it all figured out on the outside, Christianity, and we are nothing but whitewashed tombs on the inside. I want us to be so equipped and so in love with Jesus that we are an absolute wrecking ball of love on this community. That's why I like this phrase, go raise a ruckus. Go raise a ruckus. When, uh, when we started this, people asked us, why, why do we need another church in Murfreesboro? And um, the, the honest answer is, God called me here. God called me here. God called 20 other people with us to do this. But we realize real quick that people are more alone than ever. People feel more rejected than ever. People feel more unseen than ever. People feel more afraid than ever. People feel more ashamed than ever. And Jesus wants to change that. And this is, this is who we want to be. And, and when we lived in Virginia, my wife and I, we would sit down um, with a lot of the people that are here with us now. And we'd sit down over coffee and they're like, what kind of church do you want to build? And I, I was like, I want to build God's church, one. Because, and I, I'm not trying to be, I know, I, this, I'll tell you, all right, now this is off my notes. Now we're over time and, and now you're getting raw me. There's an identity struggle when you do this. There is a major identity struggle when you do this because you go into this going, I ain't got it. And you feel a lot like Moses, like, dear God, can you help get, get somebody else to talk for me? And it's not just the verb, like, I feel like I'm a decent communicator. It's all the other stuff I feel like, man, I'm just, if I can get my head above water. And there really is an identity crisis that you start to have as a pastor. Like, are you really, are you really called to do this? Is this really what God's called you to do? And there has to be a moment, I think, for every individual, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a worship leader, whether you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a layperson, you, I don't, whatever you do in your community, you're a mid-level manager. There's got to be a time in your life where you look yourself in the mirror and you ask that question and you answer back what God says to you. I did call you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I am strong in your weaknesses. And we would sit down with people over coffee and they said, what kind of church do you want to want to build? And we would always say the same thing. We want to build a church where people are seen. We want to build a church where people are loved. We want to build a church where it is hard as heck to walk in as a wallflower and not be seen and walk out. Because it's those people that are dealing a lot of times with stuff on the inside and they don't want to be called out on it. I know what it's like to go through depression. I suffer with depression. Something I fight. I had my first counseling appointment last week since I've been here in Murfreesboro. Sat down with my counselor. I'm like, I'm dealing with crap. I'm dealing with old baggage. I'm dealing with old bitterness. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with that. And I just, I just shared my heart. Why? Because I need to be the healthiest me I can be for you. 
But I know that when I'm in that state, my MO is to walk in and be unseen, take the show, leave. Because I don't want to go any deeper. Why? Because going deep hurts. It hurts, man. In the Linnean Church, this is what we will be. We will be a place where you can experience the love and the presence of God. We will be a church where you can grow together in your faith. We will be a church where you can learn about your faith in the Word of God. We're going to be a church where you can get equipped to face the world around you. And the church that I see, it includes you. The church I see has you in it. And so this is what our focus is for the next year. It's not rocket science. Can't boil the ocean. It's one of my favorite phrases. And I, I feel like a, I don't know if, you, if you're a parent and your teenagers, they leave the house and then they go into debt immediately because they think they have to accumulate everything that their parents had, that they forget that their parents grew a whole lifetime accumulating and putting together and growing, right? And listen, I came from a church in Virginia where we started with 50 people. And when I left, it was 6,000 people. And I have to be careful as your pastor that I'm not trying to recreate something I came from. Because we, we had everything. We had I built two buildings while I was up there. We had six campus pastors. We had worship team. We had talent out the wazoo. We had money. We had resources. We had people. And we could, we could cook something up and do it. I'm not going to do that to you. Because this is what we are called to do in this year. Get healthy. I feel like I said this coming out of last year. I said at the end of last year, I told our team, I said, I feel like in 2021, we survived. 2022, we thrive. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to focus on Sunday mornings, and we're going to focus on small groups. We're going to focus on the lost, and we're going to focus on developing your faith. That is what we're called to do. And my big prayer request, I'm not put numbers here. There's no number here like, we're going to be this, we're going to be that. But I'll tell you what I do want you to pray with me about. I'm praying that 52 people, one person a week, 52 people come to know Jesus through Alinea Church. I will do my part. I need you to do your part. Bring someone with you. Ask the questions. Dig deep. Be uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Be weird. I'm weird. It's fine. We all we all weird. Listen what Charles Spurgeon said. If I had never joined a church till I had found the one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth to us. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we love you and we worship you and we thank you for the church, the bride of Christ. And we pray health, we pray provision, we pray resources, we pray shepherds into this place, we pray group leaders into this place, we pray leaders into this place, we pray 
We pray people with a gift of administration into this place. We pray for the people of, of, of strategic thinking into this place. We pray for the people with the gifts of mercy and the gifts of hospitality. We pray for the people with the gifts of, of, of prophecy. We pray for the gifts of the of teachers, Father God. We pray for bass players in Jesus' name. We pray for keys in Jesus' name. Father God, we pray that this place would be a house of worship in Jesus' name. We pray, Father God, that songs would be written out of this place. Why? Because you have forgiven much and we love much. And we're excited that you have called us into the pool with your promises. And if, I'm, if you've never followed Jesus and you've never prayed to receive Christ, and you want to be the first one in 2022 that does that, would you just look at me real quick? This is what we're praying for. This is what we're praying for. I want to pray that prayer because I always do it every week for those who are listening online. And if you want to pray this online and receive Christ, you can do that just repeating these words after me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Come and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you prayed to receive Christ at the end of that message, would you let us know? We would love to put a free gift in your hand and some resources to help you on this new journey with Jesus. Just go to alineachurch.org forward slash connect and fill out the short form. If you would like to partner with this ministry, you can do so by going to alineachurch.org forward slash give. There you can make an easy tax deductible gift to further the reach of the gospel through Alinea Church. Would you also pray about becoming a monthly partner through your financial giving? Our site makes it easy to set up a recurring schedule. Our prayer is that we are able to begin video recording these messages in the 2022 year and your giving will help make that possible. Please take a moment to share this message, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you get your regular diet of podcasts. It helps us by getting the word out about what God is doing here in Middle Tennessee. Last but not least, if you live in the Murfreesboro area, please come by and visit. We meet at Oakland Middle School at 10 a.m. We are a church family that will welcome you with open arms. Remember, God sees you, He loves you, and He wants the best for you. God bless.